Good afternoon. It's Monday, the 7th of February, 2022, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish, and we're delighted to be joined by David Scott and our very own Katie Joe. Um, so over the weekend, then, uh, people started to gather for the, uh, the Freedom uh, uh, Rally, the, the convoy, um, and uh, we have a little bit of footage here. Uh, Alan, uh, who is uh, one of our roving reporters, uh, picked this up for us uh, from Taunton Services, where they were gathering uh, in southwest England. Uh, and I understand, uh, uh, well, Katie Joe will talk about this more in a second. I understand that uh, uh, they are gathering in London today, uh, if they can get into London, of course. Um, so uh, so that... I'll just add in there, Mike, I believe it was 11 convoys around yes. um UK altogether. We know that one of the convoys was pulled into a service station on the M5. The police particularly aggressive with people and trying to make some early claims of dangerous driving when there'd simply been a, a quiet, well-behaved convoy of cars. Uh, but of course, none of this being reported on the so-called mainstream media. Indeed. Um, so we'll come back to uh, the UK in a minute. Uh, but before we, we get to that, Kitty Joe, uh, let's just talk about what's been going on with the Canadian truckers and their GoFundMe campaign. Yeah, so the, um, the GoFundMe campaign uh, was pulled um, and they I think they'd reached over $10 million and GoFundMe were saying that they weren't going to give the monies back. Um, to those that donated, they were going to give the money to a charity of their choice. That has actually changed now. They are refunding everybody. Um, but there's a great uh, tweet there. I think it's a tweet um, from a, from a, um, Mark America, where he says, don't go through the GoFundMe's refund form, Can contact your bank, um, as this will cost GoFundMe, um, which would be a brilliant thing to do. Um, and um, yeah, they're, they're, uh, the movement is just growing and growing and growing. Um, Organisers immediately set up an alternative. Um, they're using now Give, Send, Go. And within 24 hours, they had reached 105, uh, £105 million pounds already. So um, there are allegations being made of violence as police tried to break up the uh, border blockade but I can't find any footage anywhere of any violence um, at all. On the contrary, it's an incredibly peaceful protest. Um, there's music, there's, uh, you know, they're happy, friendly people um, that are partying together really for freedom. Um, and then we have footage of Candice Bergen, um, leader of the opposition in parliament, asking Trudeau to apologize to the patriotic peace-loving truckers he has tried to suppress and accuse of being racist. Uh, but Trudeau says he won't be intimidated, come what may, and he's called upon the vaccinated truckers uh, to continue doing their job. Well, I think he's missed the point there. Um, the point is that this is about freedom and we have both vaccinated and unvaccinated people standing together for this. It's not about that. It's about freedom of choice. Um, and it's actually bringing this truckers movement is bringing the medical apartheid together, the two sides. It's, it's absolutely incredible. Um, temperatures in Ottawa are reaching below freezing i think minus 11. Um, the snow's thick and there are rumors of police uh, arresting volunteers uh, for delivering fuel and food to the truckers it's uh, also looking like ottawa police is considering military intervention to end the unlawful blockade um, i can't again find any evidence of this um, but i have seen a video posted by jim kerr um, that you can find on uh, facebook filming police taking two cans of fuel 
from an unattended truck. Um, it's really quite embarrassing. Um, the police look <laughs> really quite pathetic. Um, and uh, there is actually a live one hour press conference, um, which I think is really worth watching that the organizers of this protest, um, this convoy have done. Um, and you can find that in the uh, National Telegraph. Uh, they say that Trudeau and Mayor Watson have no strategy, strategy at all and um, find the fact that they are calling the protesters uh, terrorists laughable. They say they have never seen an atmosphere like it in Ottawa. The people are so happy. There's music, bouncy castles. And so, yeah, no, they're so far from being terrorists. Um, it's really quite amusing, actually, as well. They talk about the fact that the, um, the government have been asking tow truck companies to help them remove the blockades and they've been having to go as far as new york buffalo to seek tow truck help with no avail um yeah they're, they're literally uh, desperate no one no one is helping remove the blockade at all um they've had 110 residents now in ottawa um in the community um that have sworn affidavits to be used in the court proceedings to demonstrate their views of how well the truckers have been behaving um, shoveling sidewalks, etc., and how important it is to have the truckers there. Is it working? Is it having an effect? Well, two days ago, the VC health official wanted to uh, reevaluate the mandates, and federal health officials seemed to be backpedaling. There was a post saying they are considering getting rid of mandates in brackets, nothing to do with the truckers. <laughs> <laughs> which yes. is hilarious. Um, Katie Joe, can I just uh, can I just ask for clarification on the uh, uh, on the the amount of money that's been raised on the new fundraiser? Because I think you said a hundred million. Uh, I think that's. The oh, bit. sorry, one point five. One point five million. Okay, thank you. That would be that would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah, it <laughs> no, would be. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay, so and then we, what, what about Australia then? Yeah, so New Zealand, Australia, I mean, their convoys uh, started yesterday, continued to make, uh, in New Zealand, it continues to make its way down to Wellington. Um, there's huge crowds uh, filling the capital, Helsinki in Finland. Um, and I think, I believe on the 14th of February, all Europe convoys are to descend on Brussels um, to end this tyrannical rule um, in the spirit of love and solidarity. solidarity. So um, UK Convoy, as you guys mentioned at the beginning of the show, um, have a Facebook page where you can find out lots of information. I'm hoping lots and lots of videos from today is, uh, they're, they're going to be posted on there. But there's also a website timetocometogether.co.uk where you can find everything you need to help you get involved um, with the with the UK's movement today um, and the plans are that they are to occupy central London today so it'll be interesting to see what happens yes okay okay Katie Joe thank you very much for that well I decided to come in on the angle of having a look at how the Guardian in this instance is reporting Canadian truckers uh, because it's so important that people realize how the uh, the so-called mainstream media are spinning so this was the uh, uh, lovely photograph some of the truckers there with their Canadian flags um, Covid Live News, Canadian Capital declares state of emergency over protests. And because this is all under Covid News, uh, you also see the semicolon there for Vietnam reopened schools after year-long closure. So if you wonder why that bizarre headline is because The Guardian lumps everything in. Uh, but let's bring on the main text on that uh, 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 
particular article, residents furious as protesters opposed to COVID-19 restrictions paralyze Ottawa. Uh, Ottawa declares state of emergency and etc. So this is really the meat of it here with one of the photographs. Uh, police chief describes the situation as a siege as thousands of protesters join demonstrations against COVID restrictions. So it's pretty easy to see how the Guardian comes in because this is utterly biased reporting. There's no direct interviews with any of the uh, protesters. So there's nothing, there's no investigation of vaccines, vaccine damage, the mandates, uh, or any analysis of the concerns of the demonstrators. What the Guardian does really is regurgitates comment by city authorities, but it also brings in Canadian and US politicians to spin the story. So if we just have a look at how the Guardian has done the dirty deed, um, they open with formal statements. This sort of gives the uh, article a bit of gravitas. They brand the demonstrators straight away as causing harassment and fear amongst locals. They insinuate sleazy dealings with the GoFundMe trucker protest funds, and Katie Joe's covered that very well. Uh, we then spin the demonstrators' fears of government fascism to brand the demonstrators as Nazi and fascist, including, of course, saying that they were carrying Nazi flags. And then uh, bury the whole purpose of the protest in, in a sort of quasi-political comment, which I'll take you through. And, um, uh, well, there was nothing to do with the adverse effects of vaccine or, or the mandates, as I've said. So um, the Guardian put a lot of effort into making sure they weren't going to report anything to do with the truth. Uh, this is the political comment or the sort of political comment they brought in. So here we've got Ken Paxton, Texas Attorney General. He said that patri uh, patriotic Texans uh, had donated to the Canadian truckers' worthy cause. Uh, he's got a colleague here with Ted Cruz, a Texas senator. Government doesn't have the right to force you to comply to their arbitrary mandate. But of course, as far as The Guardian was concerned, these were very bad people because they dared comment on what was happening. And The Guardian much preferred this man, uh, Bruce Heyman, former US ambassador to Canada. Uh, he said, or he's quoted as saying, Canada-US relations used to be mainly about solving technical issues. Today, Canada is unfortunately experiencing radical US politicians involving themselves in Canadian domestic issues. Trump and his followers are a threat, not just to the US, but to all democracies. And he went on to say that under no circumstances should any group in the USA fund disruptive activities in Canada uh, full stop. So he's a Barack Obama man. That uh, explains part of his rhetoric. But the Guardian sucking this up and uh, and spewing it out. And then, of course, the Guardian got big on the, uh, the crowdfunding issue with GoFundMe. Um, we've already covered this, but uh, basically they smeared it. So it, it ends the second sentence by saying the site said it cut off funding for the organisers because it had determined the effort violated the site's terms of service due to, quote, unlawful activity. There's the smear. And uh, then, of course, we had a very interesting tweet put out. And um, you picked up on this, uh, Mike. So let's bring in, this was what GoFundMe had to say. Well, this, this was the subsequent statement for GoFundMe. So as, as Katie Joe's already said, they started the refunding process 
but they had initially said that they were going to give unclaimed money to uh, to charities, charities of their choosing. But the point was you had to make a claim uh, in order to get your money back. Uh, but unfortunately for them, as you'll see, uh, well, they say there, however, due to donor feedback, we're simplifying the process for you. We will automatically refund your contributions directly. But it wasn't quite just donor feedback because uh, uh, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, got involved in it. Uh, and he tweeted out, it's a fraud for GoFundMe to commandeer $9 million in donations sent to support truckers and give it to causes of their own choosing. I'll, I'll work with Ashley Moody to investigate these deceptive practices. These donors should be given a refund. So it was a bit more than just the donors themselves putting pressure on this organization. Right, but this was all too much for The Guardian, Mike. They were blissfully unaware of this. Yeah. Uh, the Guardian preferred this man. So this is another, another quote in their article. Gerald Butts, the former senior advisor to Trudeau, uh, he's quoted as saying, for some senior American politicians, patriotism means renting a mob to put a G7 capital under siege. Now, what's interesting is if you look for your information elsewhere, I went to the National Telegraph here, and they've got a very interesting article, Freedom Convoy Organisers Extend Invite to Gerald Butts to Meet and Discuss Mandates. So here was a whole section of good reporting about the Liberal Chief of Staff, Gerald Butts, and the fact the organisers had gone to the trouble to say, come and sit down and talk to us. Guardian just doesn't want to talk about that because, of course, it's got to get on message with what Trudeau thinks. So if, <clears throat> if we move on, uh, we also ended up with an, uh, an email, ex sorry, a Twitter exchange, which the National Telegraph shown. So um, Gerald Butts was invited to meet for coffee and breakfast. And he said, sure, let's meet for breakfast. I assume you're buying given the amount of money you've made this weekend. So there was the dig. And uh, basically, the protest group came back and said, I don't know, uh, I don't know what you're so worried about. I'm going to come down with 500,000 of my closest friends. And they did a little survey, should Jerry come for coffee? And 88% of the people said he should, but he ran away. So let's just recap before we finish the segment on the comments by Mr. Bruce Heyman, the former US ambassador to Canada. Uh, that's what he said, under no circumstances should any group in the U USA fund disruptive activities in Canada, period, full stop. Um, who is this man? Well, you, you need to go to the Vanderbilt University uh, because you see a nice picture of him from managing funds to managing dipl diplomatic relations. And what we discover is that he's a Goldman Sachs man and a very, very powerful individual. And if you have a look at Goldman Sachs, here he is uh, giving a talk with his wife, Vicky. Um, why should we be interested? Well, let's have a look at the text. Former US ambassador to Canada, Bruce Heyman, and former American cultural envoy to Canada, Vicky Heyman, discuss diplomacy as an essential tool for maintaining world order. Why the relationship between Canada and the US remains one of the most important bilateral relationships in the world and how, quote, the two countries can work together to drive the global agenda. So they're not interested in truckers. They're dangerous because uh, they, want to, uh, they want to stand up for their own rights. So the Guardian is simply never going to go near the true people who are pulling the strings behind this at the moment. Who are the truckers up against? Globalists is the answer. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, David, uh, let's bring you onto the programme then with, uh, well, a little bit of humour. 
Before we get there, um, just just to um, go over one one of the points that Katie, Joe, and Brian were making there about the comments coming from the uh, uh, the chair of the police services board, Diane Deans in Ottawa. She said that the city was under siege. She called it a nationwide insurrection and said, "We're on day eight of this occupation. How can you occupy your own country? They're the people. They they cannot they cannot be the occupiers. They're they it's their country." Uh, David, David, said, David, you missed the global. You missed the globalist point. We are to be exiled in our own land. That's the answer. Well, to exactly, it. Ex ex exactly. So this group is a threat to our democracy. So here we see this word, our democracy. What does that mean? It doesn't mean what people think it means. Um, it's it's a it's a an incantation word. It means our world order. It doesn't mean that, that the actual people have any sort of say because manifestly they don't. Um, but there's, there, so they're, they're trying to paint them as extremists and as, a, as an occupying power and as a, a nationwide insurrection uh, against the background of um, a manifestly peaceful protest. But the, the concern here is that if they start behaving as though this is an insurrection and using violence against the people, um, there will eventually be a response, because if peaceful protest uh, results in you being treated as though you're involved in violent insurrection, then what's the point of peaceful protest? So uh, it's David, all trying to es escalate the whole thing and introduce violence where none exists. Yeah, and let, but let's not forget that in this country, we are legislating to make peaceful protest illegal. So inevitably, there's going to be a, a, you know, conflict between protesters and the state. Absolutely. Now, you said there's a, a, a bit of a bit of humour. There is obviously humour in this as well. Here we see a, a tweet comparing the the, the, the pro-state left um, in December, and they were saying that they want to make life as difficult as possible for the unvaccinated. Don't let them work or go out in public. Make them feel the pain. And when these people protest and, and say we're not having this, uh, February 2022, it's uh, great distress, and why won't they stop honking? I see that Facebook was uh, starting to ban the word honk as uh, being something uh, horribly political. So there you go. It, uh, it, it, it started off in one direction, but took a, took a bit of a turn. Yes. Okay, well then, uh, let's uh, move on to the question of vaccine passports and whether they are uh, actually going away, because, of course, Boris has... Uh, dropped the vaccine passport idea for the meantime because of pressure from within his own party. Uh, but uh, the European Union, uh, European Commission, at least in the meantime, isn't intending to. So here they are. Uh, Coronavirus Commission proposes to extend EU digital certificate uh, by one year. So they're going to extend it until the 30, 30th of June 2023. And this is apparently because, you know, really, we don't know what's going to happen later in the year. There could be more surges in various EU countries and you, we've got to be prepared for that. Uh, so, but that's not all they're doing. Uh, they, in addition uh, to the extension of the EU digital COVID certificate regulation until June 2023, the Commission also proposes some limited amendments to include high quality laboratory based antigen tests amongst the type of tests for which a test certificate can be issued uh, to ensure that vaccination certificates contain the correct overall number of doses administered in any member state. And this is because uh, some people apparently were, uh, were getting doses in one uh, EU country and then getting another dose uh, of the jab in another EU country and then it wasn't being counted the one in 
one country wasn't being counted in the other on their certificates. So, so uh, that has to be resolved. And then finally, to provide that certificates may be issued to persons participating in clinical trials for vaccines against COVID-19. So making sure that the uh, EU digital COVID certificate uh, takes into account whether you're taking part in a, a clinical trial or not. So um, if it's happening in the EU, Brian, I can't imagine it's going to be too long before the, that policy is right back here. Well, yeah, we're still in the EU, but that's a oh, well, that's discussion, discussion for another yes, day. Indeed. Uh, so, David, let's talk about doors, uh, because there's all kinds of stuff going on in Scotland with respect to doors. There is. Now, for some years, I've been talking about the complete and total intellectual collapse of the SNP under uh, Nicola Sturgeon. And for years, it, no, no one else seems to have noticed. And it's been very frustrating because the mainstream Scottish press certainly haven't noticed. Well, the penny is starting to drop. Um, and this story kind of sums it up. Uh, we have the Mail Online reporting Nicola Sturgeon's SNP will spend £300,000 sawing off the bottom of school doors and crackpot DIY scheme to try and stop the spread of COVID. Now, this is actually worse than this, but bear with me one moment. This, the Scottish government estimates that there's 2,000 classrooms with problematic levels of ventilation, causing high levels of uh, high CO2 levels in certain rooms. And they have indeed suggested that one of the solutions to this is to saw the bottom off the doors. Now, I would point out that we're still masking our children in Scotland. It's still official policy that the children are masked so that they're, 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 they're prevented from breathing freely and uh, the CO2 that exhaling is held around about their mouth to be re-inhaled. Against that, we're worried about problematic levels of CO2. I've got a second article here just to prove this is true, because some people might think this is this is a scam or that it's a wind-up. No, here we have the, the STV, the SNP's own news channel, who never say anything against the, the SNP administration. They reported COVID plan to chop the bottom of classroom doors to help ventilation. Hundreds of thousands of pounds have been made available from the... <laughs> for the bottom of classroom doors to be chopped off in a bid to improve ventilation. Um, the move is aimed at reducing the spread of coronavirus and improved airflow. In a letter to the Scottish Parliament's Education Committee, Shirley Ann Somerville, the country's education secretary, set out a number of measures in order to tackle the issue. Now, um, there are one or two problems with, with sawing the bottom off of doors. And it, the Times here reports that, that at least one has, in fact, been spotted. Scotland's fire service has warned that chopping the bottom off doors to improve ventilation and reduce the spread of coronavirus threatens the fire safety of classrooms. Um, and the, 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 the headline is cutting school doors is a fire risk, Sturgeon told. Sturgeon responded that the move was basic common sense and dismiss criticism of the plan. So chopping the bottom off the fire doors is just basic common sense. This, you might think, is incredible, but we have a bit of video. So just watch this. There are almost no words. First point, the first point, presiding officer, is this one. If a door is hung in such a way uh, that it is inhibiting the natural flow of air, then one of the options a local authority should have is to rectify that. 
I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, dear. That was our parliament. You can imagine, I mean, I know how you feel about watching Boris. Can you imagine how I feel watching that? Um, so this, this, this didn't go down terribly well in Scotland. Um, we've got a few examples of the response. Um, this is all from sort of social media and people having a bit of fun with it. Here we have a spoof headline from the Daily Record. Bold SNP plan to allow doors to self-identify as windows. Uh, saloon doors, <laughs> now an option, says First Minister. Uh, common sense, it's common sense to smash classroom windows to curb COVID. Uh, Nicola Sturgeon has defended the plan to smash some classroom windows uh, to improve ventilation as basic common sense. You can see people having a bit of fun with this. Uh, breaking news here, we have engineers in Scotland have invented a door that can be adjusted to allow airflow uh, as desired by the user. Senior engineer said this scientific breakthrough uh, makes use of hinges, uh, which will prevent the bottom of doors having to be sawn off. But my favourite is another bit of video here. It's a conversation between a Glasgow-based intellectual and an American colleague regarding this policy. Better explain that a little bit Not, for those just listening, David. That was Lauren Hardy, <coughs> and uh, the the when when uh, when Ollie says what you're laughing at, um, the the subtitles in uh, in below um, uh, Stan's um, response, and it says Nicola Sturgeon sawing the bottom off the school doors in Scotland, and, and they, they both <laughs> they both just collapse in laughter, and that's that has been the response. We've got an, a, a, a government of such intellectual um, absence, right? That's of, of, they, they, they understand nothing about anything. It's all done on the level of um, sort of university level politics or even school level politics. It's very, very infantile. And then they're trying to run a country. They're trying to... Um, comment on international events and it comes across as increasingly incredible and and laughable and uh, they have it's kind of the jump the shark moment nicola sturgeon stood up and gave us a, dis a discussion on what a door was in parliament it's i don't know how you come back from that david just to add very quickly the uh, thing i find astonishing is i think i'm correct in saying that the uk column reported last year a uh, bona fide article that was saying that um, in NHS hospitals, um, teams were going around plugging up keyholes with uh, 
paper and plugging under the door to stop that nasty coronavirus from from uh, evading invading other parts of the hospital. So could it be that cutting off the bottom of the door, we can actually be allowing coronavirus to uh, get through and attack people? Uh, it's quite possible. The other thing is, if you cut off the bottom of a door, you're going to suck air along the ground and then into the room. You're going to bring dirt and dust and perineal fallout into the classroom. So it's clearly a bad idea. Okay, let's, uh, let's quickly move on. Uh, and uh, censorship, um, because uh, the government asked some time ago, the Law Commission, to uh, have a look at the uh, law with respect to uh, abusive and offensive online communications in the Malicious Communications Act 1988 and the Communications Act 2003. And this was so that uh, the government could change the uh, online safety bill as necessary before it goes into Parliament. Uh, so the Law Commission has now reported uh, they have entitled the report, Modernising Communications Offences, A Final Report. Uh, so we'll have a look at that in a second. But first of all, here's the lovely Nadine Dorries, who said the government said it would legislate to make the UK the safest place in the world to be online while enshrining free speech. <laughs> and that's exactly what we're going to do. Uh, our world leading bill will protect children from online abuse and harms, protecting the most vulnerable from accessing harmful content and ensuring there's no safe place uh, space for terrorists to hide online. And by the way, that's why it's so important for them to label what's going on in Canada as Nazi far-right terrorist, because this is part of the narrative that uh, anybody that's standing up to uh, government dictatorship is a terrorist, uh, but there'll be no safe space for terrorists to hide. Um, and, uh, uh, and so that's a duplicate, so sorry about that. Uh, so let's just have a look at the new offences that the uh, uh, the, the Law Commission has uh, suggested would be uh, introduced. So first of all, uh, encouraging or using or assisting suicide, uh, offences related to sexual images, i.e. revenge and extreme pornography, incitement to threats of violence, uh, hate crime, uh, let's see, public order offences, harassment and stalking, drug-related offences, weapons, firearms offences, fraud and financial crime, uh, and uh, let's see what else we've got, money laundering, uh, controlling, causing, or inciting prostitutes for gain, uh, organized immigration offenses. Uh, and of course, the point here is that these offenses are already in legislation. But the claim is that the legislation is not fit for purpose because it hasn't taken into account the world of smartphones and the internet, which is nonsense. Uh, everything that's on that list is already illegal. Um, so let's have a look and see what they're saying here. A genuinely threatening communications offense is one of the things they're wanting to introduce where communications are sent or posted to convey a threat of serious harm. It will offer better protection for public figures such as MPs, celebrities or footballers who receive extremely harmful messages threatening their safety. And of course, this is another narrative uh, that's being thrown at the, uh, the anti-lockdown protesters and the anti-lockdown campaigns uh, because, for example, Mariana Spring uh, of the BBC claims that she has been on the receiving end of so-called extremely harmful messages threatening her safety. Uh, another one, uh, an offence for when a person sends a communication they know to be false with the intention to cause non-trivial emotional, psychological or physical harm. And my first question is, when this new legislation comes through, is the government going to prosecute itself? Because it seems like the government is the first uh, body that needs to be prosecuted under this particular offence. Uh, bearing in mind the absolute, non-trivial, emotional, psychological and physical harm that has been caused to this 
the population of this country in the last two years as a result of government's information policy around coronavirus. Uh, but they go on to say here, for example, if an individual posted on social media encouraging people to inject antiseptic to cure themselves of coronavirus, a court would have to prove that the individual knew that this was not true before posting it. So before I move on, David, uh, I'm very interested to get your thoughts on how you think a court would go about proving that an individual knew that this was not true. Because uh, I'm not aware that courts are capable of looking into people's heads. Well, you would think not. And this is part of the degradation of the law in our society, that increasingly the court will determine what you, what you were thinking at the time, and the court will decide. And the reality of the situation, or you, what you would um, reasonably argue, doesn't seem to hold very much um, credence anymore. You mentioned hate crime there. Uh, from, from Police Scotland's webpage, what's a hate crime? Any crime which is perceived by the victim or any other person as being motivated wholly or partly by malice or ill will towards a social group. That can be anything. You, anything could be a hate crime. You wouldn't know. No one can ever know. So what that means is that's an open invitation for the state to act against people it wants to discipline, to brand them as hateful and, uh, and criminals, and to, uh, and to silence them um, whenever it chooses. That's, that's an open invitation for, um, well, it's thought crime. That's an open invitation for the police to, to police how you think and what you believe. Uh, yes, indeed. So let's come back to Nadine then and uh, what she's saying here. We're listening to MPs, charities and campaigners who've wanted us to strengthen the legislation. And today's changes mean we'll be able to bring the full weight of the law against those who would use the internet as a weapon to ruin people's lives and do so quicker and more effectively, uh, just as the government has done in the last two years. But look, uh, let's just remember uh, you know, there, of course, by mixing up all these kinds of so-called offences that we've just talked about uh, with the other stuff which is already in the online safety bill, uh, this is going to uh, drive uh, support for the bill because at the end of the day, why would you not want to see children being protected online? Why would you not want to see uh, revenge porn and other things being stopped uh, online and so on? But let's just remind ourselves uh, what is the main or what are the main problems uh, with the online safety bill as it stands. Uh, the, legis the legislation or the draft legislation that's been published so far applies to what they describe as uh, category one platforms. This is not entirely dis uh, well defined, but it's likely to be Facebook, Twitter, and uh, the likes of those. Uh, it applies to services that are used in the UK. Ofcom is gonna be the new regulator. Of course, Ofcom uh, totally stacked with uh, BBC and ex-BBC people. Uh, and plenty of room for scope creep in the published legislation so far, which is, as remind is in draft form because there's plenty of opportunity for secondary legislation. Um, but what the legislation does, uh, it requires a duty of care. So it says in line with the government's response to the online harms white paper, all companies in scope will have a duty of care towards their users so that what is unacceptable offline will also be unacceptable online. Um, and uh, the largest and most popular social media sites will need to act on content that is lawful but still harmful. And again, what's really dangerous about this legislation is that this concept of what is harmful is not terribly well defined. So it basically could be anything, as David has just uh, uh, made the point. Uh, but it also includes 
uh, misinformation and disinformation and that. But, you know, we may have a different view of what that is compared to the government. Uh, the draft bill contains reserved powers for Ofcom to pursue criminal action against named senior managers whose companies do not comply with Ofcom's request for information. Um, and then as far as freedom, protecting freedom of expression, the bill will ensure people in the UK can express themselves freely online and participate in pluralistic and robust debate. Yes, but it will absolutely prevent anybody <clears throat> who is doing that uh, in a way which the government does not agree with uh, from uh, having that information shared on social media platforms or in search engines. So your free speech is and your freedom of expression is protected by the bill, but you have no right to be heard by anybody else. You can shout as loud as you like, uh, but nobody will hear you because you'll be deplatformed from the various cate uh, category one platforms. Uh, people using platform services will need to have access to effective routes of appeal for content removed without good reason. Uh, well, of course, we've seen that that already doesn't work and there's no uh, requirement for anything to change in the future, as far as I can see. Uh, users will also be able to appeal to Ofcom and these complaints will form an essential part of Ofcom's horizon scanning, research and enforcement activity. It won't re result in Ofcom intervening. It's just a question of uh, data gathering for Ofcom. Uh, then, of course, the other dangerous thing is that some uh, content on social media platforms might be viewed as democratically important. Who buy? Well, by the government, of course. Uh, and so that uh, type of content will be protected and social media platforms will not be able to remove it if, even if they chose to do so. Uh, and also, if you're an approved uh, government news publisher, uh, news publishers' websites, uh, they are not in scope. Uh, but uh, also uh, recognized news publishers uh, will be exempted uh, from the uh, requirements under the bill uh, and category one companies will have a statutory duty to safeguard users access to journalistic con content shared on their platform. So if you're the BBC or the Guardian or the Times, you get your content protected. If you're the UK column, I'm fairly certain you don't. Uh, and then uh, also on journalistic content, this means that they have to consider the importance of journalism when undertaking content moderation, have a fast-tracked appeals process, and will be held to account by Ofcom. Ah, you'll be held to account by Ofcom if you're a, uh, if you're a, a major media outlet with protected uh, content. Sorry, if you're, uh, if you're taking down content from a major, a media, major media outlet with protected content, but anybody else, well, that's just a data gathering exercise. Uh, they say that uh, citizen journalist content will have the same protection as professional journalist content. That clause is there to protect the likes of Bellingcat because you will have to be an approved citizen's journalist, citizen journalist, uh, the approved type in order to get that kind of protection as well. So this is deeply dangerous legislation, as we've said many, many times. Um, and the new updates, the new uh, additions to this which on the face of it might be able to garner lots of uh, uh, positive headlines from the mainstream press that don't, aren't looking under the surface of this thing. Um, that might generate a lot of support for the bill, but people have got to sit, take the bill as a whole and not just uh, take the headlines that may come out of this latest announcement. Yeah, all the headlines that are going to be pushed by the BBC and the media who are going to benefit from it. So where does all this nonsense come from? Well, let's just remind people of who's running the country still. Um, here we are, picture of Boris with his pint, uh, the Express headlines, Partygate. Boris uh, Johnson holding 
holding a can of beer, it doesn't look like a can of beer, but it is the express, uh, lockdown party handed to police. And uh, I'm just going to label this one because we, we've got thousands, tens of thousands of elderly people who died unnecessarily in care homes. We've got all of the lockdown depression. We've had suicides. We've got the NHS in chaos, breakdown of the economy. And uh, Boris is having a party. He's having a party while the rest of us were locked down. Well, he had the party while we were locked down because he had done a great job. He produced chaos in the country. And that was his objective. Well, let's have a look at how the media now swings into action to protect Boris Johnson. And you've got a great headline here, Mike, from the BBC. Well, this is Carrie Johnson, his wife. I'm target of a brutal briefing campaign. And all I really wanted to make the point here was, of course, Carrie Johnson was brought in. Uh, and well, who knows, was she brought in to, to handle Boris? I'm not really sure. But one of the things that she did almost as soon as she was brought in was to get rid of Dominic Cummings. She ran a brutal briefing campaign against Dominic Cummings, which and you know we could have a discussion about whether that was justified or not. But the, the key point is she ran it. She ran it. And the bottom line here is that all this whole party gate thing is really just an internal spat within the British government. Uh, it is generating chaos, as you've said. But she's now complaining that she's the target of a brutal briefing campaign. Where's it coming from? Well, it's mostly coming from Dominic Cummings. Seems to be how it's being reported uh, generally. So uh, that seems to me, Brian, to be uh, karma. A uh, bit, bit of karma there. But of course, what uh, the media is doing is taking all the attention off those deaths of elderly people, the vaccine damage. They don't want to talk about that. So what they want us to do is focus on the party in uh, Parliament. Uh, this is the BBC at its worst because this picture really says it all. So we're spinning the story now. It's a fairy tale of political innocence by two lovely young people. I mean, we are paying billions into the BBC for this dross. It needs to stop very quickly. Um, but uh, what's Boris up to? Well, of course, he's not guilty of anything. What's he going to do? He's going to reorganise his team. He's going to get new people in. Boris Johnson, completely not at fault. He's going to get new people in. And if you need new people, you need a new communications director. Uh, he's bringing in Guto Harry. Uh, well, who's that man? Well, let's bring him in on screen. But essentially, we've got a man with a background in the BBC. So that seems pretty well set to line up the dominoes for the next uh, load of spin and propaganda to the general public. But what we want to warn people as a UK column is we need to be looking in the sidelines for this man appearing uh, because uh, Richie Sunak, uh, Dominic Cummings, certainly in, in love, in quotes, with uh, Rishi Sunak and helping this man come in. And David, I'm going to say to you that when we look at this man as a potential prime minister, we will be completely exiled in our own country because this man is clearly a globalist in the full sense of the world. So has he got the best interests of UK uh, in his mind? I very much doubt it. Too much money in that billionaire family. So Boris, yeah, I think his days are numbered, but watch out for Richie Sunak. OK, if you like what the UK Column does and you would like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org slash community and there are options to help us there. So if you're watching the programme for free, uh, we do need your financial support and that would be uh, much appreciated. Uh, also share our material on the various platforms uh, if you're able to, uh, or if you'd prefer to support us uh, via the UK Column shop, that is possible as well.
Um, so, uh, David, I believe, um, what's next? Um, we have uh, an actress to talk about. An actress called Tandiwe Newton. Um, and uh, she's, she's been uh, on Sky News and she's been very upset and she's got a, a public apology to make. And it, it's, it takes us into the realm of the culture wars and it's been widely mocked. So we'll, we'll, we'll play the video and we'll also play one of the responses that's a bit mocking. But I have a, I have a more serious point to make at the end of this. But it is a, it is a strange um, response to, uh, well, essentially nothing that we're aware of in terms of she's basically apologising for the success of her career. I've wanted so desperately to apologise every day to, to, to darker-skinned actresses, to say, I'm sorry that I'm, I'm the one chosen. My mama looks like you. My mum looks like you, and she... It's been very painful to have women that look like my mum. Feel like I'm not representing them. That I'm taking from them. Taking their men, taking their work, taking their truth. I didn't mean to, you know. David, uh, just before you start, I mean, my first reaction to that is uh, I was impressed by how hard she was trying to squeeze out even one tear. And unfortunately, she wasn't able to do it. There was many strange things about that. Um, <clears throat> taking, taking their truth, right? Everyone's truth is individual. That's postmodernism. That's how that's everything is relative. There is no truth. There's only your truth and my truth. And, and somehow I can steal your truth. It's, it's a bizarre mindset. And you can see the damage it's done to her personally that she feels that she had to do that. Now, it, there, there's certainly a, a, a risible element to this. And uh, actor Lawrence Fox was, was quick on the response. So we'll, we'll enjoy his, his version of the same, of the same um, apology. I just want to apologise for every other white-skinned actor who blunt the hell of me. <laughs> my mum was whiter than me. My dad does tan on holiday, but maybe he's still really white. And uh, I'm sorry for taking your your men, women. Sorry, I'm straight. I'm definitely straight. And you know, my house is is really nice. I'm so impressed. <laughs> to go. Sorry. Sorry. David, so, I'm gonna. I, I, I get it. I get it. Sorry, on you go. 
I was just going to say we're laughing and we need to laugh. But as you say, um, the, the black actress there has been reduced to that by the psychology which has been unleashed on her and the public. Combine what we've just seen in those video clips with cutting the bottoms off doors and the nation has been reduced to utter chaos. And let's remember that the government's behavioural insights team were the psychologists planning on how to unleash psychology on the nation to get the nation to behave itself and do as the government wanted. This is calculated abuse of psychology. And this is very much my point. Um, uh, the actress there um, has got a, a white uh, dad and a black mum. And you can see the level of confusion she, she, she views her own identity with. I, she, you can you can see the level of of um, uncertainty she feels about who she is and where she belongs, right? And, and you have to feel for people in that situation that that's a that's a a a, a, a difficult position and one that I've I've heard many people who have got mixed race backgrounds describing that that you never really feel that you belong anywhere and this is a this is a problem that can be lifelong. But if you then add on uh, a culture where everything's been made about cult, uh, about color, skin color, and everything's been made about victim status, and everything's been made about your position on the victim hierarchy, so you're taking someone who's who's got some insecurities, and uh, you know due to their background, and you're essentially un unleashing this toxic brew of mind destroying um, notions upon them, and they end up going on national television, making a fool of themselves because they're, they don't know how to think about these things anymore. It's a very sad sight. And, and it's, it's, it's mockable for sure. And, and, and it needs to be mocked because we do need the humour. Um, I think we also need to have a certain amount of compassion for the, the harm that's been done to people who don't understand the nature of the psychological attack that they're under. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, let's bring Kitty Joe back in again. And uh, Kitty Joe, uh, you want to cover Joe Rogan? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been looking at the progress of the uh, Joe Rogan experience uh, um, situation, and I came across an article in the uh, Mail Online about a former Strictly Come Dancing star, Brendan Col Coleman. I think his name was or Cole, um, who is currently competing in the uh, Dancing on Ice uh, talent show. Um, he's uh, he's in he's in the mail online because he's been uh, liking a few tweets uh, that um, have been supporting Joe Rogan, and he follows uh, an account on Instagram which uh, calls for a grand jury to prove um, uh, crimes against humanity in relation to the COVID nineteen vaccine. So he's really out there with his views. But my favourite bit of the article is where. Brendan sparked fears for Dancing on Ice that he might not have been vaccinated in December when he posted a lengthy anti-government rant um, about vaccines on Instagram. Um, so support for Joe Rogan seems to be growing, even though they have now made him a racist. So what's been going on with him and The Rock has been the stuff of a playground behaviour, really. It's ridiculous. It's he said this, he said that, she said this. Um, so The Rock was originally um, in support of Joe Rogan, but then a clip uh, which had been edited together to show Rogan's using the N-word over and over again prompted uh, Dwayne to post a tweet saying that he wasn't aware of this and now I've become educated to the complete narrative. 
Um, then we have The Rock being branded a hypocrite after an old video of him resurfaced of the former wrestler giving a racist impression mocking the Chinese language. Um, it's just ridiculous, really. Um, and uh, the Joe Rogan um, has, has promised that this video um, that consists of out of context, um, uh, you know, different uh, series, podcasts um, that have all been spliced together. Um, and he said that he knows that the most, you know, that to most people, there's no context where a white person is ever allowed to say that word, never mind publicly, um, in a podcast. Um, and he agrees with that now. I haven't said it in years. Um, the comedian argued that he was fascinated by the slur and often used it when quoting stand-up routines from the likes of Red Fox and Lenny Bruce. So that's how he's um, he's uh, he's kind of got himself out of that. Um, now Spotify has removed 113 episodes um, of the Joe Rogan experience. Uh, most of these were recorded before the COVID uh, controversy. So it doesn't look like many of the videos that have sparked this war on the uh, Rogan experience have been actually um, removed. So we have artists like India uh, Ari, um, who stand um, with, uh, with, um, with those that have actually come off of Spotify. Um, and she shared the clip of, of Joe Rogan using the N-word, calling for people to um, delete Spotify. Um, and then we have others on the other side, Donald Trump Jr., Ben Sharpio, and the president of Brazil standing up for him. And uh, what I'd like to raise is what uh, Donald Trump Jr. mentioned. And this is this cancel culture, um, which I think is really dangerous. Um, it's a slippery slope. Um, we're on if we're, if we're gonna be punishing people um, for things they've said in the past. Um, the videos of Joe Rogan have been dug up on purpose and edited to destroy his show and Spotify. Nothing to do with, uh, with, with racism, really. It's, it's all been done just to, you know, get everybody to uh, sabotage his show. Um, and cancel culture will have a devastating effect um, on entertainment, comedy, uh, people's ability to just think and speak freely. Um, it's making people paranoid, really, um, and it's it's causing self-censorship, which in turn will leave people mentally gagging themselves without the need for a mask. Um, so, yeah, that's that's where we're at with the Joe Rogan experience, really. Yes. And Katie, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head because this uh, this is not an accidental decline in the way people relate to each other. This is the result of a deliberate attack on their minds. There's no question of that and uh, how how can we see this happening well of course we've only got to go back to the bbc which has been pushing all this agenda for a great many years it started off with the corruption of the very innocent uh, soaps to introduce political and the so-called social issues so we can see that the agenda has been deliberately pushed through and now we're we're seeing that it's really starting to damage people. But of course, the other way the, um, the media can uh, spin the line is by omission. And I'm going to thank the viewer who sent this email in to us, uh, basically saying that uh, an MP is accusing the BBC of creating a news blackout by failing to report it's being sued by Jerry Adams for defamation. So uh, this just gave a little report in the email. But uh, the article I brought on the screen here is the Daily Mail. And um, 
the key bit of it is that uh, the former leader of Sinn Féin has launched legal proceedings in the High Court in Dublin after the BBC broadcast allegations he had he'd sanctioned the killing of ex-Sinn Féin official and double agent Dennis Donaldson. Now, I think this is a really significant story. It's very emotive because it's Sinn Féin and it's Jerry Adams. Uh, but the key point here is we're now at the stage where the BBC simply creates its own news by either giving the political line, the government line, or sheer emission, it does, uh, omission. It doesn't want to report things which it thinks are dangerous to its own position. Mm. So um, people have got to be very wary of the BBC and other so-called mainstream media now. Um, okay, let's move to uh, Ukraine. Uh, and first of all, uh, Jens Stoltenberg. Um, so uh, he's very happy because he spoke to uh, Emmanuel Macron on Russia's military buildup in and around Ukraine uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, he commends Macron's personal commitment to NATO's dual track approach of the ballot box and the bomb. Uh, that's not quite the words they used on that tweet, as you can see, but that is effectively the, the uh, policy that they're pursuing. Uh, and he says, hashtag NATO unity is uh, key at this critical moment. Uh, so what's Macron up to? Well, he's heading off to Russia today and, uh, uh, and well, he's going to be talking to Vladimir Putin. And this is what he's saying. Uh, Russia's objective, he says, is not Ukraine, but a clarification of the rules with NATO and the EU. And first of all, I'm fascinated that uh, the EU is mentioned there as uh, in parallel with NATO in that way. But uh, we can, maybe David can comment on that in a second. Uh, we must protect our European brothers by proposing a new balance capable of preserving their sovereignty and peace. Uh, and this must be done while respecting Russia and understanding the contemporary traumas of this great people and great nation. So Macron continuing to pursue the, the soft touch uh, of the, the Europeans in general. They don't want to be using this, it seems, this rhetoric that we're getting uh, out of the UK and the United States of blood and violence and so on. Uh, but don't worry, because the mainstream press has been making up for that. Uh, so here's the uh, New York Times. U.S. warns of grim toll if Putin pursues full invasion on Ukraine. Uh, so they're saying uh, uh, that uh, senior Biden administration officials told lawmakers this past week that, they're, uh, that they believed the Russian military had assembled 70% of the forces it would need to mount a full invasion of Ukraine, painting the most ominous picture yet of the options that Russia's President Vladimir Putin has created for himself in recent weeks. During six hours of closed meetings with House and Senate lawmakers on Thursday, the officials warned that if Mr. Putin chose the most aggressive of his options, he would quickly surround and capture Kiev. Um, and uh, remove the country's democratically elected president, Zelensky. Uh, and they also warned that the invasion could prompt an enormous refugee crisis on the European continent, sending millions fleeing. Um, okay, so that was, uh, that was what uh, the New York Times said. That maybe Sky News does a better job. Well, let's have a look. Uh, no, no, not a better job. In fact, the final three pieces, three new signs of Russian invasion plans. That should be scary enough, but let's have a look at what they're doing. Uh, so they're talking about the Angarsky training area. Uh, two of the indicators have been observed at a training camp uh, in Russian-occupied uh, Crimea. Not that they don't say anything about there being a referendum, of course. They just mention uh, Russian-occupied Crimea. And they've got a whole host of wonderful satellite pictures. The camp has seen an uptick in activity since December. Are you scared yet, Brian? Don't worry, you're going to be scared in a second because... This includes the appearance of light brown tents. So some light brown tents have appeared. So you should be scared. We've got pictures of them. 
Uh, apparently these are similar to the light brown tents uh, that have appeared, uh, which makes it look like a medical uh, facility, a mass unit or something like that, if, if the Russians have such a thing. Um, but uh, it may be significant development of field hospitals uh, and uh, that to treat wounded soldiers, although it could be used as part of an exercise. <laughs> So, yeah. uh, so well, you anyway, just make it up as you go along, well, Mike. It's, exactly. It's, it's it is pitiful. fantastic stuff. And yeah. we continue. Uh, 60 large tents, each capable of housing 20 men, uh, have been erected in the center of the camp. So 60 large tents, That's 20 1,200 men. men. That's, my goodness, this is, this is incredible. This uh, is an Zelensky army. Zelensky must be shaking in his boots <laughs> with 1,200 men about to invade. But anyway, let's go on. Uh, to the south, a further 15 tents have appeared this year. Uh, so that's amazing stuff too. But don't worry, it gets better uh, because uh, faint rectangular indentations in the snow near the hospital uh, show where 23 large tents previously stood, all of which had been moved. So, <laughs> so, so Sky News, uh, absolutely, this is spectacular stuff. Uh, but uh, on a more serious note, this was probably quite serious uh, because uh, Olga uh, Lutman here, who is uh, Russian and, and uh, works in the United States, is tweeted this out, uh, this Russia invades Ukraine headline was finally taken down after sitting on Bloomberg's site for over 30 minutes. How did this happen? Well, I'd suggest it was put up there to drive traffic to their site, so it's a scam. Well, this is what Bloomberg had to say. We prepare headlines for many scenarios, and one of those headlines was inadvertently published at around 4 p.m. today on our website. We deeply regret this error. Uh, and what was the Russian response to this? Well, there's Dmitry Peskov. He said it's a perfect demonstration of how dangerous the situation is when provoked by the endless aggressive statements that come from Washington, from London, and from other from other European governments. Uh, this is oh, sorry, I've uh, duplicated that one again. But David, uh, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but it seems uh, that you know Brian's right. Of course, it will drive traffic, but at the same time, the Russian point has been. Uh, you know, this constant stream of uh, headlines day after day after day, and then that one, uh, what were they expecting was going to be the response? Well, this, I mean, yes, because people could die, right? <clears throat> that, that, that could have been enough to trigger, you know, some watering along the border. You know, pe people could die. Yeah. You, you would think that something like Bloomberg would be more responsible. And... The, for weeks now, we've been told that the Russians, they could, they could invade any moment, right? It could be any second. They're ready. Well, maybe not, because the American government are now saying that they're 70% ready, right? So we don't have any information, but if we put a number on it, that sounds kind of precise. So they're now reporting that the, the, the Russians are 70% ready to invade. And the 30% that, that they don't have, that would be all the heavy equipment. The stuff you need to invade. So the, the story is, I mean, apart from some very nice photograph of, photographs of tents, um, where's the substance to this? It's simply stacking the tension for political gain. And what, what is the actual agenda here? Other than to try and embroil, try and embroil Russia in um, a quagmire-like uh, low-grade war. Indeed. So let's uh, come on to Newsweek here and uh, what they're describing as an exclusive. The headline is Ukraine crisis could lead to nuclear war under a new strategy. Now, they're talking about uh, a, a U.S. government strategy 
which has been doing the rounds for quite a, a number of years. This is 2017, April 2017. Here's America's plan for nuking its enemies, including North Korea. Uh, and this plan is talking about, uh, it's effectively the fusion doctrine, in fact, in it, to a certain degree, because it's talking about the merging of nuclear and non-nuclear forces. So let's have a look and see what uh, the Newsweek article is saying on this. In the new nuclear war plan, integration of all military and non-military weapons in the American armory is labeled the new deterrent. Planners seek to debilitate and immobilize any enemy, any enemy rather than physically destroy it. The dividing line between what is nuclear and what is conventional has been blurred more than ever. Uh, and with that strategic stability, the singular objective of preventing the use of nuclear weapons, which has kept the nuclear weapons sheathed for more than 75 years, has been made ob obsolete. They continue, uh, Russia is not likely to invade Ukraine, but if a military confrontation unfolds, it would be the first ten test of this new approach to war. Uh, and they say this integration of nuclear and non-nuclear, including space and cyber, although that's not in this particular paragraph, it's mentioned in the article, uh, and the focus on effects rather than destruction erodes the firewall between conventional and nuclear warfare and creates more pathways to escalation. Uh, and uh, the, the plan is thus today neither segregated from the rest of warfare or of military posturing, nor is it a stable edifice, they say. If a crisis like Ukraine escalated to military conf confrontation, the ramp up might be obscured behind a largely invisible and e even secret capabilities. So they're basically saying, you know, whatever happens, the use of technical nukes, the use of uh, uh, space, cyber, uh, the, inf the information war and so on, people aren't really necessarily going to understand uh, what's being used, how it's being used, or even why it's being used. Yeah, and I think, I think this is a very accurate analysis, uh, Michael. I think there's uh, increasing chaos in the armed forces that they don't really understand what their job is anymore. Yes. And that, that's because of, of, of the new policy coming in from high-level talks between the senior military and the government. I mean... What is it like for Russia looking at a nation that's got nuclear weapons and it's cutting the bottom off school doors? I, well, well, how do you form policy, uh, foreign policy with with a nation that's descending into madness? Well, indeed. Uh, so, David, uh, we've got uh, Alan Smith MP here, and of course, you know, Scotland must have the solution to this problem. Well, Brian said descending into madness, and we have Alan Smith MP, and um, that wasn't planned. Um, Alan Smith MP, known to UK Column viewers for his threats to um, one of his constituents who he, who he had on a list as someone who had um, unsuitable opinions and was asking awkward questions. Um, well, no, he's now, he's now part of the, the team that's going to save the Ukraine. So here we have him tweeting out an important few days of briefings uh, on the current situation with Stuart MacDonald, the uh, SNP's uh, defence spokesman. Uh, Dave Dugan, SMP, um, and of course, uh, Sweet Cheeks himself, because that's his nickname, Alan Smith. And uh, we see them here uh, having a, a nice photo call here uh, with Mikola uh, Tokovsky. And he is um, the, uh, the basically ambassador to the EU from, um, uh, from Ukraine. And uh, he's, he's the tall gentleman, the little short guys. Oh, no, maybe not. Um, certainly two of the short guys are the SMP team. Um, uh, that's uh, uh, on the, the, the right-hand side is Mr. McDonald. And here we see them um, having a, a, nice, a nice meeting around the table. 
Um, unfortunately for the SNP, there's a nice union flag on their side of the table. I'm, I'm thinking that would have annoyed them mightily. Um, and uh, it's all okay because, you know, the SNP are here. You know, the, the, the Ukraine has friends. They've got the SNP on their side. And what, what, more, could, uh, what more could be done? Uh, we're sending our brightest and our best. I mean, the SNP defence spokesman here used to be a holiday rep in Ibiza. So, you know, he's, he's qualified. Uh, certainly. Um, OK, we'll just end this segment then with a couple of uh, headlines from uh, uh, Poland. First of all, first U.S. troops arrive in Poland, uh, carrying the first U.S. troops to reinforce Poland. Beechcraft C-12 Huron landed uh, near the southeastern Polish city of, uh, of uh, well, I can't pronounce that, on Saturday as part of the West's response to Russia's uh, disinclination to de-escalate the co conflict in Ukraine. So now Russia is disinclined to de-escalate. Uh, okay. Uh, and the Express here saying that uh, more uh, SAS and SPS have been sent to Ukraine to train Ukrainian troops. Um, so, uh, well... Well, That's of course, we, we, we don't want to get involved in any of the fighting, really. The aim is to train up the cannon fodder to get involved in the fighting. That's why they're using all of these special training groups. It's un unbelievably cynical yes. stuff. OK, David, let's move on. And uh, the USS Liberty? Yes, always remember the USS Liberty. This is the ship that was attacked and attacked and attacked by Israeli forces at the start of the Six-Day War. Um, their appeals... Um, for help to the United States Sixth Fleet, which was just over the horizon, uh, were ignored. Um, and now the man who ordered that that ship be allowed to be strafed and torpedoed and, and uh, who cost the life of 25 American sailors, um, he's been um, used to name a new American destroyer, uh, the future USS Lyndon B. Johnson. So you can imagine how the survivors of the USS Liberty feel about that. We discussed a wee while ago about the number of paedophiles that are now um, uh, used to name uh, United States ships. Um, but I think going uh, to name one of the ships after someone who tried to uh, abandon United States sailors um, to die in the Mediterranean Sea uh, is perhaps even a step further. Well, David, perhaps that one's got a little bit of a silver lining in that that particular class of ships have been a complete disaster since their design and build. And uh, instead of being a full class of American warships, there's only going to be about six of them, I think. And they've turned out to be some of the biggest white elephants the US Navy's ever produced. So I wouldn't feel too sad about the naming. Might be appropriate. OK, David, let's move back to Scotland then. And uh, Nicholas Sturgeon, the Daily Record reports here, um, is accused of uh, misleading Scots over independence state pension claim. Yes. So we talked about the intellectual collapse of the SNP under Nicholas Sturgeon. This is another example of this problem. Um, uh, so what happened was the uh, SNP leader in the Commons um, has said that, well, uh, all the Scots who have paid in the national insurance contributions to the UK Exchequer, they would still be paid a pension by the UK Exchequer because they've paid in, uh, even after independence. This is, of course, monstrously stupid and um, uh, completely economically illiterate for reasons which we'll explain momentarily. Uh, so this was so bad, in fact, it got a, a leading article from the Times uh, headed wrong on the money. 
It is simply not true that the UK would pay independent Scotland's pensions. Um, and the minister responsible came out and said, no, this is, this is nonsense. We won't foot the bill for Scots pension, pensions if the country split up. Um, each part of the country would be responsible for paying for its own pensioners. Um, and uh, the Times uh, here is reporting that the minister um, uh, dismisses the misleading claims by the SNP. A government minister has accused Nicola Sturgeon of perpetuating a deception after confirming that the UK would refuse to fund Scottish state pensions if the country became independent. The First Minister and Ian Blackford, SNP's Westminster leader, have insisted that the pensions would continue to be paid from the Treasury of Scotland left the UK. They claimed that the Scottish workers would be entitled to a British state pension because they had paid in national insurance. So this is the myth that there's some sort of pot of money. There is no pot of money. It's a Ponzi scheme. It's just paid out of taxation income uh, as a, on a pay-as-you-go basis. Yeah. Um, a guy, uh, Oberman, the pensions minister, said they were misleading Scots. If Scotland chooses to become a foreign country, then working English, Welsh, and Northern Irish taxpayers could not pay for the foreign countries' pension liabilities. This has been the settled position of the UK government since since before the 2014 referendum. So you see here that the 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 intellectual and economic um, illiteracy and intellectual collapse of the SNP is is more or less complete. They cannot formulate any sort of case for independence. They've been destroying their case for independence. They've been destroying the oil industry, for example. Uh, they've been destroying industry more generally. They've been building up this, the cost of the state every year. They've been taxing Scots more and more severely. They've been destroying Scottish industry as a result. Everything they have done has been negative for their stated aim. And this is because they are not intellectually up to the job. Uh, we thought that Salmond was a man of some limitations, but th this is far, far worse. So we see here the, the failure of the Sturgeon drive for independence, the failure of the ideas, and the collapse of the narrative. Um, I don't know when her supporters will realise that it's game over, but it's game over. Okay, and that takes us on to uh, David Goodwillie. Right, now this is a, a, a strange and troubling story, right? So this. This man here was a, was acquitted of rape in a criminal court. He, he, he certainly wasn't convicted, but he was subsequently sued in a civil court um, for rape, and he'd lost the civil case. And the, the situation was he'd sex with a girl. He was a young footballer at the time. He had sex with a girl who was uh, completely incapacitated by alcohol. Um, so it's not exactly a, a, a great story of. Um, human interaction at the best of times. But this was uh, more than a decade ago. He's now a 32-year-old footballer. Sorry, six years ago, he was found in the civil court to have raped a woman too drunk to give consent that he claimed that she gave. Um, and um, he's now a 32-year-old footballer. But Nicola Sturgeon um, uh, essentially rode roughshod over all of the SNP policies regarding um, uh, rehabilitation of offenders to, to call on him not to play for Wraith Rovers. So she, she, she the, the head of the country, allegedly, um, came out to basically make sure he couldn't actually work in his chosen career because of a previous um, 
not criminal because he wasn't criminally convicted, but a, a, a previous um, civil um, claim that was was held by the Scottish courts to be a, a rightful claim. Um, the the uh, son here reports she's used her position pretty much to make someone unemployable because of his past. Is that what we want here, to create a pariah, to make the guy untouchable? Because if he can't play football, what will we allow him to do? Go and live in the woods like an animal. So th this, is, this is, again, an abuse of power, a lack of thought, no intellectual consideration of the implications as, uh, of what she's doing, again, coming from Nicola Sturgeon. She's not fit for the post she's in, uh, and everything she touches increasingly shows this. Yes. <clears throat> okay. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's end on a lighter note then. And first of all, uh, well, we've got something from Net Zero Watch here. And the question is, what does Net Zero mean for you, David? Yes. Yeah, so you've got this little chap sitting in his chair and he says, well, I can't afford the bills. So he's got zero heat. Uh, what? More green taxes, he says. So he's got zero money. He says, I can't afford an electric car. So he's got zero car. And he's watching the, the jets flying away. He said, I can't afford to fly. He's got zero flights. And uh, now the, the employer's saying, sorry, we can't afford to employ you. So he's got zero job. And uh, the kids are looking at his, at his grave now. And he had zero chance, RIP dad. So that's what net zero might mean for many of us. I think that's, um, well, that's and, pretty accurate. Yeah, I'm afraid so. Uh, so that policy needs to be dealt with. And then we'll end with uh, uh, Solzhenitsyn. Yes, so a quote here uh, from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Uh, he said, human beings are born with different capacities. If they are free, they are not equal. And if they are equal, they are not free. Something uh, that the, act the actress, uh, Miss Newton, that we covered earlier on, uh, should, should consider. Um, and uh, making that part of how we interact with one another is a big part of how to fight back against the uh, political correctness uh, that is slowly strangling um, our ability to interact with our fellows in, uh, in a joyful and pleasant manner. Yeah, okay. All right, Ex excellent. Um, well, that brings us to the end of today's news. David, Katie, Joe, thank you very much for joining us. I'd like to say a big, big thank you to all of our supporters and subscribers. Very big thank you to people who've been making donations to us. Thank you for taking the trouble to do that. We just say gently to people, if you're watching for free and you're not a subscriber, please do subscribe because we can only do what we do with your financial support. Um, before we close, I'd just like to ask if there's anybody out there who's fully bilingual in French and English, uh, we'd be very interested for, uh, to hear from you if you've got any time and capacity uh, to assist the UK column. Uh, you can get in contact with me, uh, brian at ukcolumn.org. Uh, but we're really interested in people uh, completely bilingual French and English. So if you think you can help, please get in contact. I'll be back in a couple of minutes on the uh, main live stream for some extra and hopefully see you then. Okay, thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.